Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. Today I'm with my guest, Greg Bolden. And so, uh, Greg, we've known each other for some time. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what occupies most of your time these days? Sure. Uh, well, my background, that's a large question, but I'll, I'll summarize it pretty quickly. Uh, my background is I was raised in a Catholic and Presbyterian family, went to Catholic school my entire life, including college where I met you. Uh, went on to teach at a Catholic grade school, left there, worked at a Catholic college, left that Catholic college, worked as a youth minister. During all this time, I did some things in television and film on the side and with different companies. Uh, and then after being a youth minister for nine years in the Catholic church, I am now an audio radio video teacher at a local public high school in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, in addition to that, I host my own podcast, um, where I talk about the political events of the world and try to bring common sense to them. Awesome. So, I mean, one of the, the key words that just kept on popping out in your background is Catholic, and that is something that, of course, uh, I am as well. And uh, the other thing, too, is our, our common love for music, which I'm sure maybe we could kind of touch on maybe as we discuss things here. But uh, today I'm going to kind of sh totally shift gears because knowing you so well, Greg, going back 20 plus years to our time in college, the thing I want to talk about today is uh, the the issue of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I know this is something that that maybe gets really close to you in lots of different ways, but I kind of want to first begin this by talking about how it really has plagued me through much of my adult life, and I think it goes right back to um, you know my relationship with my parents growing up, and especially my relationship with my dad, which became more pronounced when my mom. Uh, died in a car accident where I was a sophomore in high school. So it was just my dad and myself. And, uh, you know, anxiety start to heighten in a lot of ways. And I can tell you that, that uh, I still see it in so many different parts of my life, especially um, if someone comes up to me, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Someone comes up to me uh, who I may know at a pretty decent level and they'll say to me, hey, you know, I, I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> yeah. And the minute they say that, I'm, I'm automatically thinking, crap, I'm in, tr I'm in trouble. I just yep. know I'm in trouble. And, uh, and the anxiety starts to fill me that way. And of course, it also happens when I have to do certain things, go into certain type of events with maybe I don't really know everyone there, or I'm expecting that they're expecting me to do something. Um, so it's something that definitely uh, plagues me in different ways. Um, maybe I'm pretty good at kind of uh, playing it off. And I can't always say that my Catholic faith has always been a great source of consolation to kind of help me through it. So but just by starting off with that, I would just want to see if any of this resonates with you. And um, more importantly, uh, if it does, what have been some of your methods in kind of working through it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, anxiety is really, if you were to ask me about my my kind of dark secret of my life uh anxiety is that dark secret that i've dealt with um most of my life 
Uh, I remember uh, being in high school and that's when I first really would understand that what I had been experiencing in grade school was like panic attacks, uh, having chest pains, like a heart attack. And I'd gone to um, cardiologist. My parents were worried and come to find out our mental health, uh, you know, understandings back when we were children was just less than what they are now. Now we would say that what I grew up with was uh, generalized anxiety disorder and panic attacks. And it wasn't really named for me until much later into my adult life because it started getting worse and worse. So I can certainly relate to it. Um, what I did was when I was working for the Catholic church, my anxiety got so bad that I could not stand up straight in a church without feeling like I was going to fall over. And it was during the time period that our Catholic church uh, was going through our sexual abuse crisis. And I was standing in church one day and I'm listening to this priest speak that I knew, knew of some of the abuse. Sure. And all of a sudden the room started turning sideways on me and I grabbed the pew in front of me and I was like, oh my God, I can't stand straight. And every day that I went to work after that for almost two years got worse and worse to the point where um, I started like scratching the back of my head, feeling lumps. I started thinking that like I had something horrible wrong with me. Um, and it got really, really bad to the point where people would ask, are you, are you okay? And I just couldn't wait to get out of situations. So if somebody said, I need to speak with you, that was like the worst thing ever. <laughs> or yeah. if there was a youth in crisis, as I was a youth minister, it got to the point where I was like, I can't deal with another person in crisis right now. Mm -hmm. I have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I sought help. Um, I, I got to a point where I knew that I probably wouldn't make it on this earth much longer if I did not get professional help. And so I sought out a psychologist to speak through things. And what I discovered was I had a history of trauma in my life that was deep and I didn't feel that I'd lived a traumatic life. I just discovered that I had all these little micro points in my upbringing straight through my teenage years and into my early adulthood that all add up to really immense trauma that eventually gave me a fear of death, gave me a fear of my own mortality based upon what I had been told most of my life, as well as my trust with other people. I became a very distrusting individual and I never was able to name that. So I, I wrote a journal and I documented my life and I had a professional that was able to look through it and go, do you understand why you have the thoughts that you have now? And that was an absolutely um, groundbreaking moment for me because I, for the first time, I understood how I was uh, motivated, how I was uh, manipulative in life on my own accord based upon mm -hmm. what I wanted to get out of a situation to avoid trauma and pain and suffering. And um, so that's, that's really kind of the first part, but I can tell you, I've been having high anxiety today and uh, you know, one of the ways that I've learned to deal with it is keep myself busy and keep my mind active um, and, you know, finding things to ground me into healthy uh, ways to exercise that. And I, I think that's, that's the key to the anxiety conversation. What is healthy for the individual? Because there are plenty of unhealthy habits and I had those at times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like I don't have the unhealthy habits at this point that I've replaced them with a lot of positive energy and positive thoughts to the best of my ability.
Sure. So, I mean, I guess the big part of this is just kind of knowing what's going on or knowing at least as best as you can through the help of professionals and, and, and others, the source of the anxiety. Did that at least kind of bring some type of consolation to you? Like, oh, I'm, I'm not just crazy. They're, they're, yeah. they're, I, I am connecting the dots here in a way that makes sense. Or Yeah, so it does two things. And one thing I think I'm still working through, John, the first thing it does, it, it, it brings this awareness and consciousness that allows you to breathe. Right. It allows you to go, I know what this is. I can name it and I can get through it because I got through it before and I'm going to get through it again. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the second part is what I'm working through is the anger because I do have deep seated anger in how I got to be who I am. And I'm still working on forgiveness. I'm still working on moving on beyond and not holding myself back from traumatic events that so some people would be like, well, that wasn't so bad. So you were called gay when you were in high school. Like, what's the mm -hmm. big deal about that? Mm -hmm. Not realizing that during that same time period, <clears throat> there were a number of other things going on in my life and my personal life with my family, mm -hmm. that that was absolutely devastating to be going through in addition to everything else that was happening in my house. Sure, sure. So l let's try to talk th about this in light of, say, your relationship with with the church because i mean that that was a big part of your life oh. and, and still is i'm assuming some type of part of your life for good or for bad so like what how does how did that contribute to this um has it played a role in trying to help you heal from this uh because you know anxiety for me as a priest in the catholic church is always thinking like well i really am always wondering what's going to happen next i mean you mentioned the sex abuse scandal thing. I mean, that is to me always a constant thing that's just not going away. That you're just are always waiting for another shoe to drop with that kind of thing, which definitely affects so many people. And uh, so I, I bring that up because you you brought it up. But can you just tell me a little bit about that? It, it sounds as if as if there you have like almost I don't know if you want to call it a love hate relationship with the church, but. Maybe you could just kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, growing up, uh, my parents were the type of family that invited father over for dinner, uh, had an open door. We had best friends that were priests. And I was raised that a priest really could do no wrong, that mm -hmm. a priest was mm -hmm. the the center figure. I should so, show the most amount of respect that the the worst sin that I could do would be to treat a priest poorly. Sure. Sure. That stated, <clears throat> as I got older, uh, as I had priests in my life, as I took down boundaries uh, from those priests and became just trusting, I saw a lot of stuff that <clears throat> I don't think I realized at the time was not proper behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I understood as a 12-year-old um, that I witnessed people that were grooming other individuals. And it got to the point where when I was uh, at the age of 18, 19, that I had a priest that was trying to groom me. And that was one of the most traumatic parts of my life that I finally was able to speak through in therapy. And I, I you know, I, I think when I was working in the Catholic church and I started hearing of people that were physically molested and abused, John. Yeah. That to me went back to the moment where 
I had this guy tickling me, right? right. I'd be in his office. He tried tickling me now. And thank God it didn't go further than that, but it hit me. I was going, this was grooming. And here I am at the age of 18, 19, yep. Yep. allowing this priest to do this to me because of why, because of the power, because of whatever this was supposed to be brainwashed. Yep. And so that love hate relationship, what I love about the church, I love the universal church of like caring for one another. I love the people that it's brought in my life that have been in the pews. I love the the families that I've gotten to work with throughout all the years. The things that I'm really uncomfortable with, quite honestly, are most of the priest. Yeah. Um, I don't have yeah. trust in my heart for priest. And if if I talk to a priest, it's because they've earned that trust throughout many, many, many years. But my list is very small. And so the hate part of my relationship with the church is the fact that I don't believe that the Catholic church has truly repented on its own and really taken out the garbage, so to speak of its past, because they were so afraid that they would lose so many priests that they couldn't run their parishes, couldn't run their churches. And as a result, they've left people complicit in cover up still pastors to this day at the age of 76, 75 and older. Yep. And it's because they were so afraid of, doing the right thing sure sure well i mean like I, I i've experienced it from so many different angles at this point uh you talk about being groomed in college years it was happening with me in high school years in fact the priest who uh i became very close with i became close with them right during the time when my mom died in a car accident so i'm 15 years old uh and you know he he was a source of consolation and he was very good to to my father and I, and, and, you know, it, it, it became like, well, why would you not like want to kind of uh, deepen this type of relationship? And for some reason back then it was the mid nineties. I mean, no one really thought even then that it was a problem for, for a young person, 15 to be hold, hanging out with a priest in his forties. I mean, for some reason that just didn't really phase anyone. And uh, you know, this priest went on to, groom and abuse other uh boys you know my age he ended up getting in trouble eventually i i, I think he was laicized he's now since died but like all i can say about that whole experience was that okay yeah it didn't go so far and thank god uh, but when you're that young you don't even know what to make of the whole thing it's like just it's just confusing. It's just simply it, confusing. It, what I've learned you know? is it doesn't matter that it, it didn't go that far. Right. What I've learned is that the wound is just as is just as bad. The problem is society wouldn't tell you that it's just as bad. Right. You know, somehow right. we 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 go, well, unless such and such, then you're might be making it up or you might have, you know, kind of inflated what actually was happening. You know, totally. how silly. Now you have the validation of knowing that that individual was later held accountable for their actions. Right. I have the uh, relation of calling up the place that I needed to call, and I'm going to keep this very quiet for sure. names and stuff on purpose. Sure. But I called up the place that I needed to call, and I was told, well, how old were you when this happened? And I said, well, I was just turning 19. I was 18 turning 19. And they said, oh, so you were an adult. Now, this was the official priest response to me right. as I'm trying to explain that I had unwarranted and inappropriate touching going on in a right. priest office. And instead they tried to make it. So I was the one that had a problem. Right. And when I, when I went to therapy, John, what I discovered was that's when my anxiety started was after I was able to like 
name these type of things. That's when, not when the anxiety started, but that's when the anxiety got to the point where I developed physical ailments. Right. Um, and so when you talk about uh, the two different types of suffering, there's the suffering that people see because they know that there was something that was physical and everything else. And mm-hmm. then there's almost this mental abuse of the church. Um, and that can look a lot of different ways. That doesn't have to look like the sex abuse. Mental abuse of the church can also be telling somebody what sin is and what sin is not and making somebody feel absolutely horrendous for their actions. I mean, I right. was in youth ministry and I saw sixth graders that were so upset about sin that they thought about ending their own lives over their sins. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just, where's the compassion crazy. in the church over yeah. that type of mentality, but that's coming from a catechesis from priests and DREs in this country, in my experience of what, what i what I saw. And uh, there are people that are digging in trenches in that still. And it's so harmful to the, to the human experience. Right. Yeah. Well, but the, 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 the crazy thing about, you know, your experience and my experience is that something profoundly affected us early on. We may not fully understood how much it affected us early on, but yet we continue to actually, if you want to say, uh, either give the church a chance or find that we belonged within it in some ways, in so much as you went on to do youth ministry uh, and in so much as I went on to become a priest, uh, you know, it's kind of strange to have been hurt by the very institution that you then mm-hmm. invest so much time in, in working within. And, uh, you know, I, I think for myself being on this side now, I think so much of why the cover up, for example, happened and why there's so much of a tendency to try to keep on hushing this up or just trying to say that, Hey, you know, we dealt with this, we got to move on is because I think that, you know, we have to be honest. And I can say this as a priest now, I mean, uh, priests have a lot to lose uh, when the priesthood in general is attacked. And I'm not just saying, you know, because they might go to jail. I mean, that may happen, but they have a lot to lose because they have a certain type of um, security, a job security. And anything that may threat that job security, I think, uh, makes the hierarchy and makes priests in general on the get very defensive. Uh, it's because it's like, you know, how do you, how are you going to be able to function as a person in society if you don't have certain things? And if, if people, people keep on uh, knocking the priesthood or keep on pulling out and dragging out files of priests who abused, you know, minors or just had inappropriate relationships with people, it just kind of makes it difficult to really say that the security of a priest is guaranteed moving forward of any priest. I often say that, you know, uh, when, as one priest falls, really all fall, you know, and it could work the other way too. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had po- positive experiences with priests, I'm sure. And that would make us want to think that all priests ought to be that way. Right. And, and how many people have only maybe had positive experiences with priests, which is why they're just so, you know, completely almost in, you know, disillusionment by the fact that they're actually have been priests who have, haven't been faithful or haven't 
And, you know, I, things, I, you know? I, I, I want to I wanna address a couple of things. So, you know, have people really never had a problem with a priest or have they romanticized what a priesthood is? That's right? a good question. So that's, Excellent that, question. That, that, that's yeah. a great question to, to ask yeah. somebody of right. what is their ideal? Because that, I experienced a generational difference in the way people uh, relate the priest in my church work. The second part that I wanted to talk about and go back to is why did we wind up in church work? Well, I think my answer is pretty simple, and I think yours is the same, whether you see it this way. I knew that I went back to church work because, one, it was rooted in me at a long time to leave the world better than the way that I found it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to me, I felt that working in a church, that was like, what what better way to help society but to do it with a Christian value, right? Um, but... I'm also not naive enough to think that that was my only reason. And this is the reason why I eventually left youth ministry and left working at the church. Mm -hmm. You can talk to anybody that I worked with and they'll all tell you the same thing. I was obsessed with making changes and improving things. Mm -hmm. And it eventually drove me out of my position as a youth minister. It moved me into a position as the director of mission and ministry at the church. And then when I got into that, I realized I couldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And there was, um, something that happened that I, I really don't want to, to put out there as far as a uh, 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 issue with a incoming priest and the bishop. Right. Um, but I'll just leave it at this. I realized that me in that position could not change anything. And the bishop didn't care about any change. It was business as usual, just like 30 years before. Sure. And I knew at that point in time to get my resume together and leave. Uh, since that time, I've given some churches a try. Most of the mm -hmm. time when I walk into a church, I'm walking into a church for a funeral or a wedding. Right. Um, I have a, a a very hard time being present in a church for mass, and I have very little um, desire to be with the congregation on a Sunday now. And um, I had guilt about that originally, and that guilt has gone away over the past five, six years that I've been like this. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk about this. How we move forward now? For me, um, a little part of my way I think that's been part of the healing process is just trying to learn how to do the priesthood, so to speak, on my own terms. I know that may sound kind of, I don't know, um, almost as if I'm just kind of being selfish. But I came to a point where it's like, if I'm going to be really uh, certain that I'm called to be a priest, I can't just do it and also not be myself. Like I have to somehow be myself and also be faithful to the vocation, which I believe I've been called to do. And that's kind of worked out for me by going back into teaching and living on my own and functioning as a priest um, in a way that's not directly connected to being so much in the murk of the institution. And it's been working out, you know, for you, it sounds as if like you had to leave completely from church ministry and you hesitate to even going back into a church. And I totally can understand that. So you mentioned earlier about how, what the tools you have or the habits that you have and kind of just dealing with your ongoing anxiety, much of which I still think is connected to your relationship uh, with the church, especially you know, the negative things that have happened with priests and whatnot. So what are some of those types of tools or habits that have been effective? Um, and, and and because that's ultimately how we're trying to understand everything we talk about on these podcasts. It's like, where are we going to be able to facilitate the healing that each and every one of us uh, needs 
um, from our past. Find authentic joy. Um, you've known me for many years mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I am somebody who can lose myself in music. Um, I take great joy in being creative. Uh, I am my own biggest fan when it comes to creativity. I love just sitting there when I, what I mean by that is I love hitting the record button, recording some music and then messing with it and continuing to build on it and then walking away from the idea, never finishing it. Like to me, there's just beauty in creating, enjoying creating, right. um, picking up a soccer ball with my kids and mm -hmm. playing in the backyard. I can forget all of my anxiety, just being present in that moment where I find I struggle the most is when I'm not able to be present and in the moment of what's going on around me, whether it's conversations, whether it's uh, a job that I need to do. Um, it's finding authentic joy in each moment and can only happen when you learn to be present and uh, breathing is very important to that. Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness is extremely important. Like I, I, I practice, uh, alternate breathing through nostrils, which is a yoga technique. Sure. But sure. it really does help kind of remind me that I'm breathing, that I'm alive. Um, another thing that's helpful is uh, finding uh, different memories th that are tangible that I can call up, the mm -hmm. times that are good, which can be rooted in music. So sometimes maybe just put on a song that I know no matter what, that makes me feel good. Right. Um, they're all kind of my my standbys and go-tos. And then each morning I have the same prayer that I've been saying for, oh God, uh, 29 years, the direction of intention. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I'm in my public school classroom and I do the announcements and I get to the moment where I say, and now uh, please continue standing for a moment of silence. And then my moment of silence, if anyone knows, I'm literally praying that prayer. And at the end, I go, you may be seated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the kids don't hear it because it's in a public school. It's let, in my let, head. Let, let's hear the prayer. It helps. Hear it. Sure. It's uh, my, um, my God, give me the grace to perform this action with you and through love for you. In advance, I offer to you all the good that I may do and I accept all the difficulties I may meet therein. Amen. Amen. I know that yeah. I pray a similar version of it. My God, I give you this day. I offer you now all the good that I shall do. And I promise, except for the love of you, all the difficulties and challenges that I shall meet, help me to conduct myself during this day in a manner most pleasing to you and to everyone I meet. Amen. It's awesome. St. Francis similar. de Sales. St. Francis de Sales. Yeah, I guess. That was, our, our, that was how we met through the yeah. de Sales connection. Yep. Yeah, I was, uh, I was at a different Catholic high school that was a Salesian Catholic high school before we met at a Salesian college. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like those little things. I mean, it's it, 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 in order to be present to the present, it has to be an intentional action. Oh, yeah. So, And oh, maybe yeah. it is saying a prayer. Maybe it's just somehow reconnecting with your breath. Um, maybe it's just really opening your eyes a little bit more or just smelling what's around you more. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, you know, the all these little things, I think, help us to maybe just be reminded that we're participating in something bigger than ourselves and that which is bigger than ourselves is all around us. Um, and so even when we look at the sources where we're thought to be, find our consolations, namely say the church religion, and we're kind of let down, um, I would argue that God doesn't let us down because in a certain sense, he can work despite the limitations of the church. Um, 
And I think in the same sense, though, we probably didn't know about that God unless we had the church to kind of at least at least spark that that sensation in the first place. So last word is yours, Greg. Well, my last word would just be uh, something out of care for people. Um, if you yourself are a listener and you experience anxiety and you've tried different techniques and nothing's working, know that anxiety is one of those things that is a silent demon, so to speak, in millions of people's lives. You're not alone. And that it is worth getting professional help. There is help out there to work through those things. Um, and if you find yourself in crisis, there are help numbers to get yourself that help when you need it. Find the trusted people in your life that you can open up to and be honest with so you can find the support that you need. I think that it's great to get the tools, but I also think that it's also uh, can be overwhelming for some people when they're trying to find the tools and things aren't working yet to have the patience and grace with yourself to know that a better day is coming because that has been the blessing in my life. When this journey started off, you know, I didn't have my beautiful children. Um, and I just am so glad that every day has been gifted even through the pain and suffering of some days there's gifts and all of it. So search for those gifts and search for, um, where you can find your own healing. Awesome, Greg. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Attentive Heart Podcast. We hope that you were able to find it helpful in your spiritual journey and practice. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Sunday to Sunday Productions and The Witness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with friends.